0: Hello, and welcome to Risk Chats with Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we'll be speaking with Meredith Stein from the NIH about their risk inventory, risk champions, and their risk profile. So without further ado, here's Meredith. Good morning, and welcome to the podcast. We have uh, Meredith here from NIH. Good morning, Meredith. Good morning. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us today. Um, I wanted to start off, if you could just please give us a little overview of uh, NIH's risk management program and your role over there.
1: Sure. Thanks for having me. NIH has had a risk management program in place since 2009, and this was all before enterprise risk management began taking a stronger hold in the Mm -hmm. federal government. Our our program establishes a framework and standard methodology that's used across NIH to identify, assess, and manage risk. But to give you some background first about what NIH is, Mm -hmm. uh, NIH is the nation's medical research agency, and it supports scientific studies that turn discovery into health. And our mission is to seek and apply knowledge to enhance health, lengthen life, and reduce illness and disability. We have a a fairly healthy budget of, $32 $32 billion annually and we invest that in uh, more than 80% of our funding is awarded through grants and we also conduct research on the, within the largest clinical research hospital in the world. We have about 6,000 scientists that in our own labs that conduct research on our campus in Bethesda, Maryland. We're a very decentralized organization with about 28 component units and 27 of which are individual institutes and centers that are focused on either a, a particular body part or a type of disease. And each institute and center has a specific research aden- agenda and a separate budget allocated directly by Congress. And the remaining component unit is the Office of the Director, which is the central office for setting policy planning and coordinating, you know, an oversight program activities for the 27 institutes and centers. My office is the Office of Management Assessment, and that's part of the Office of the Director. So we set the policy and guidance for the risk management program that's used across NIH. My office reports to the NIH CFO, and I have a small team of of dedicated staff to support the risk management program. We spent a large part of our time communicating and educating people about risk management and of course more recently on enterprise risk management. And we're experiencing, I think, a new challenge right now of educating people to understand the difference between enterprise level risks and the more day-to-day operational level risks.
0: Right. So with an organization so I guess it's decentralized basically, you know, 27 27 institutes. I mean sounds like that's probably the ba- the biggest challenge for you all to get everybody the message out to everybody and everybody, you know, getting on board with the program.
1: Yes. Yes. Wow.
0: Okay. Well actually that brings us to my first question about how how did you guys, you know, put together a risk inventory with that, you know, everything so spread out like that and what was your approach?
1: Thank you. So the the risk management program methodology is a six-stage approach and it includes an annual risk inventory assessment process Mm -hmm. and our program offers a lot of flexibility for each of the NIH organizations to conduct their annual assessment the way they'd like but at the end of the day they have to have a documented risk inventory that meets our program requirements Mm -hmm. Um, and we're right now in the middle of that cycle the risk inventory is due at the end of August and then after that information is collected, my team aggregates all of it and looks across all of the risk inventories to see if there are any sort of common themes, uh, recurring emerging risks, or new types of things that might float to the top mm-hmm. that might be better addressed at the NIH level. Right. And my team produces reports that aggregate risks from across the inventories by category, so things like HR, acquisition, IT, security, right. facilities, and we provide those reports to the uh, policy officials that are in charge of that program area, so they could look and see what is coming up from the from. I guess we can look at this from a bottom up approach mm-hmm. about what the institutes and centers are saying at their level that they think are challenging to their mission of their or, own organization, and. The, the risk inventories are a great source of information for us to help NIH develop our first-ever ERM risk profile and that those recurring annual risk inventory updates will also contribute to uh, any refreshes that we will do for the ERM risk profile. And again, we see this as like a, a bottom-up, top-down approach to mm-hmm. identifying enterprise risks. And the risk inventories also help us focus on areas that senior leadership might request a more in-depth and agency-wide look at an internal control assessment. Hmm. And my team will conduct those to give, you know, the NIH director some assurances that those internal controls are operating as intended.
0: Right, right. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, and again, but I'm, st- I'm still going back to, so, you know, how do you get folks across these different areas to really be on board? I mean, do you have something, you know, like- I think you said something about champions when I talked to you before on the, on the regions. or
1: Yes, great question. So I, ha- I have four FTEs supporting the Risk Management Program and mm-hmm. with each NIH organization or component, we designed a network of risk management champions yeah. and risk management officers to oversee the execution of the risk management program at mm-hmm. their or- organization. Right. And so each of my uh, FTEs has a group of organizations that they function as a liaison for. And they can engage their, their champions at, at those institutes and centers to, if they have any questions or need some feedback or simply just want to toss an idea around about risk management in NIH. Mm-hmm. That said, everyone is always welcome to contact any member of my team to, and we take every opportunity to make sure that the champions and officers know that we're you know, customer service focused and here mm-hmm. to support them in their execution of risk management at NIH. A few years ago, we initiated a risk management champion working group to give the champions a venue to share ideas and best practices. Mm -hmm. The ultimate goal was to pass the ownership on to the champions for that group themselves, so we're extremely proud that that sort of played out the way we had hoped. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition to the quarterly meetings that these champions uh, conduct, the last two years, this champion working group sponsored and managed a risk culture day for the risk community, which was an excellent, you could sort of think of it as a mini A-Firm Summit. Oh,
0: right, yeah. We do a
1: one day event at NIH. It features a variety of educational presentations and speakers, Mm -hmm. and the theme that we've done for the last two years, the topics that we've tried to um, talk about and enhance skill sets have been facilitation, because that's where we see a lot of the skill sets for risk practitioners needing to facilitate conversations Schedule. about right.
0: risks. Right, and I'm just curious what. So, who who makes up the champions? Or you know, what what type of roles or what types of folks are the champions? You know,
1: most of them have been uh, management analysts. The 343 series. Okay, that's been the bulk of the the job mm-hmm. series that we've seen.
0: And do they have specific? I mean, do you give them guidance at the beginning? You know, this is what your role is going to be and what we would like you to do, or or.
1: Yes, the risk, the risk Management Program has a policy mm. that describes the roles and responsibilities under the Risk Management Program for okay. NIH. And then we have a supporting guidebook that goes into more in depth what those roles and responsibilities mean.
0: Okay, so that's sound obviously essential. You're setting up these programs. You know, here's here's the rules, here's the policies, here's the guidance, here's some procedures. Otherwise, you know, folks aren't gonna know what to do or what they're supposed to do. And notice, I, I love this champion idea. I think, you know, other agencies would really Benefit from something like this, and actually, did you guys just come up with that, or had you heard that work somewhere else?
1: We, it, at the start of our uh, implementation back in 2008 and 9, we recognized that there was a need to have that champion mm-hmm. role. That with the program sitting in the office of the director level, we needed those pe- those special people and mm-hmm. with those right skill sets that knew their own organization and business and culture. Right. And so that was the key to the success of implementation for NIH. Oh,
0: that's awesome. Um, well, more about learning. I'm curious to hear about what kind of learning initiatives and how do you spread the word out there on the program.
1: Sure, so the, that getting back a little bit to the champion working mm-hmm. group, it's been a fabulous resource for the champions who are new to their positions. A while back we realized that at the t- as time advances and people move on to other responsibilities, we'd naturally be faced with a new cadre of people trying to fill that champion role. And we've, over the last two years, um, been able to take time to create on-demand e-learning, um, and that's been we haven't been able to have that effort uh, take place until until two years ago, um, and we're fortunate to have a resource that is is skilled set in in e-learning, and we're happily engaging head-on on that activity at the moment. We developed um, and deployed basic courses that introduce enterprise risk management. Uh, more descriptions about the risk management program itself, our methodology, and and especially the terminology and making sure that everybody understood sort of that lexicon. They were all on the same page with that. And um, not just to the champions in the community, but to a wide variety of individuals. And right now we're focusing on developing more advanced courses that break down the individual stages of our six step methodology Mm -hmm. for those who fill the role of the risk management champion. And we're planning to pair these, with these advanced courses with a lab experience mm-hmm. so the champions can get more hands-on learning and a variety of practical approaches to help them execute the risk management program within the own organization. And our, our plan right now is to roll that out uh, with our first advanced course and learning lab early next year. Uh, one thing I'd like to mention is that we also have an available on-demand e-training to teach people how to use our homegrown software application for oh. capturing the annual risk data.
0: Oh, okay, so oh, all right, so then, so can you describe that software a little bit and how that works? I mean,
1: sure, sure. So when we first began our program, we used Excel templates. Mm-hmm. And then we moved on to an off-the-shelf grc project product Mm -hmm. we eventually came to the decision to develop our own centralized in-house application to capture the risk inventory data across nih this will actually be the second year the applications in use for the annual risk inventory assessment and we're always seeking feedback the ways to enhance the user Mm -hmm. experience Um, we we find it very beneficial to throughout the system development process to actively engage with our champions as end users to produce a system that met the various needs and flexibility for those folks. Uh, I'll give you an example. So some of our organizations prefer to have the risk champion input all of the data into the system, while others prefer to have managers assigned to each risk input their own data and this is one of the flexibilities our program allows, we wanted to ensure that the application would support that flexibility. Right. Um, we also have, um, we've also spent a lot of time in discussions with the champions on the types of reports that their organization needs and right. their leadership needs to help make decisions based mm-hmm. on risk information. And two types of reports that I wanted to share, one was um, we actually have a report that collects and produces a report for the risk inventory, so showing the risk statement, the risk score, the risk owner, Um, and, and another terrific report that we've found to be helpful is a trend risk report. So looking at the scores throughout the course of five years, see if there are any significant changes Um, even if a risk manager applies risk responses, doesn't necessarily mean that the score might decrease, Mm -hmm. but that we can look at and see if there are any trends across the five years, if the risk exists for that long, to see what the trend information is.
0: Right. So, and you have been doing those analyses and, and finding trends. I'm assuming.
1: Yes, it's been it's been helpful to see you know looking at all of the risk inventories and taking that enterprise approach to see if there are any sort of common themes, frequently identified risks, uh, things that you know from a risk event might have happened that have trickled down to the institute and center level.
0: Right. So, just a little bit more on that software. So, is it the folks that use, I guess, the different institutes, so that they would just see their risks and then they kind of move up higher level so you all can see, you can see everything, or what's the Correct. access?
1: Correct, yeah. so the, the, um, the access is locked down to their own organization, okay. and then my team has access to all of the risk data, mm-hmm. and we my team aggregates and analyzes that information, tries to synthesize it, and mm-hmm. we put together a presentation to show to the risk community the um the frequently scored in in that type of analysis with some graphs what um you know how the i guess bell curve of the all of the risk inventories came out as red yellow or green what's the you know the the most of the number of risks that have been identified this year we also compare it to the prior year data Mm -hmm. and we tried to um you know keep it anonymous in the sense that we don't share um you know, specifics about individual right. risk inventories, but we look at it, you know, from an aggregate level.
0: Right. And this is just something on the top of my head, but have you seen over the, since you've been doing this for a few years, I mean, do you see the, you know, the risks, you know, being, getting better or as far as, you know, you're getting better responses from folks or they're really getting deeper into potential risks or, you know, do you see things kind of getting, you know,
1: Sure. So over the years, we have seen improvements in the data quality, right. and we've placed an emphasis on that in our annual risk inventory guidance. Okay. Uh thing, and provided you know tools and templates like a checklist of these are the types of information and trying to hone in on the, a better quality of data. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also um, you know looked looked at those trends to see if there are any emerging risks that have occurred right. throughout the year and whether, um, you know, as compared to prior years, if anything um, is significant enough to report to leadership that they would need to know.
0: Right. That's good. Well, so um, I know recently uh, agencies had to submit their uh, their risk profiles. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming you guys did that. You had your first risk profile come up. How, how did that go?
1: Yes. So so as I mentioned, NIH has had a risk management program in place since 2009, but OMB's 2016 update to Circular A123 was the impetus to think about mm-hmm. risk from an enterprise perspective. Right. Uh, the timing was perfect because NIH had recently developed an NIH-wide strategic plan, mm-hmm. and in that plan, the director emphasized the importance of engaging in proactive risk management practices. We understood that the The requirement in OMB Circular A123 was for an ERM risk profile directed towards the executive level agencies and for that, that meant for us the Department of Health and Human Services. NIH felt we were well situated to undertake that challenge. Uh, We had a couple of goals in mind when we began the effort to develop our first profile. I strongly believe that having the dialogue about risk is one of the benefits of ERM. And the strategic plan was fairly new to the organization. We anticipated the effort of developing our profile would engage a more open and candid conversation about the challenges that threaten the achievement of the goals set out in the NIH-wide strategic plan. It would also offer a chance to discuss the opportunities that could significantly enhance our ability to support the NIH mission. Our, Our profile was designed to be an internal informational management tool and we leveraged diverse risk assessment data to articulate thinking on NIH-level risks. Our our goal was to have the data to be used to inform strategic planning, Mm -hmm. budget formulation, budget execution, performance management, resource allocation, and other high-level decisions the process we use would probably sound very familiar to the people with experience in developing risk profiles my team performed an environmental scan of our agency and coupled that with information from existing risk data Mm -hmm. we collected and analyzed an array of available information existing inventories assessments internal and external reports uh, meeting minutes news articles budget requests congressional testimonies and the nih director's blogs Then my team analyzed the information using the NIH strategic plan as a framework and proposed a number of risks for leadership to consider as potential NIH ERM risks. Then leadership selected 10 risks for the initial profile and designated and tapped a risk owner for each. Mm -hmm. My team then worked with each risk owner to fine tune the statements and capture supporting data for that particular risk and we helped the risk managers and risk owners document planned action items. We we didn't assign scores or priority rankings. Mm-hmm. We put the profile together, and it was reviewed and approved by senior management. Okay. We, we, we did encounter a few challenges. Um, ERM was new, and we were working with many people who had no idea what ERM meant, right. and <laughs> what the profile was, and why mm-hmm. we were creating one. And so we had a lot of educational discussions that had to happen before we could even get down to the business of discussing the ERM risk statements. Mm -hmm. Another challenge is one commonly faced by any effort that engages with leadership is getting time on their busy schedules. But because ERM's about those top level risks, senior leadership engagement's an absolute must. Um, We know that, that having an initial profile is a starting point. My team and I are continuously looking for ways to mature our program. We're communicating the results of the profile. And without a doubt, it was was very satisfying to facilitate and hear those cross-cutting dialogues that occurred during the selection of the ERM risks. The word needs to go out beyond the small circle of folks who we've actively engaged with in the development of the profile. And as I mentioned earlier, NIH is a decentralized organization and there are many different groups that would benefit from knowing about the profile. We'll be working on communications and presentations for some time. But right now we're, we're, like I said, also in the middle of our annual risk inventory assessment. This year we're able to offer the profiles another source of information Mm -hmm. for organizations to consider as they determine their own level of ERM risks. But as our program matures, we're thinking about how to best use and integrate it into existing decision processes. I talked a little bit earlier about our efforts to develop on-demand risk management on Mm e-learning at multiple levels, and we're proud of our progress. We'll be looking on how to incorporate information about the profile into our training.
0: Okay, well, and uh, so these, when you came up with the profile and then even for all the risks, you've all been tracking you know how do you monitor progress on on you know on these things and make sure people are really you know just don't just put it down on paper and then forget about it you know they're actually doing something yeah. actively
1: yeah that and that that is also also a challenge that you know there's the accountability factor right. that you know it's not just a, a shelf filler mm-hmm. um, that you actually have to use that information to help make decisions we're looking for ways on how to. Um, get the risk responses updated see what progress has been made for those action plans that were documented um, a couple of months ago and seeing you know the progress that's been made with in, in discussions with those risk owners
0: right and then and you mentioned the you know obviously this helps with strategy and budget and everything so um, you know is senior leadership at this point you know regularly incorporating the erm risks into their discussions or is that kind of a you know, work in progress so to speak?
1: We've seen success stories with being with the risk data being used to help make budget decisions oh, that the um, there are examples where an organization uses their risk inventory information to uh, re- make a budget request for mm-hmm. additional funds and mm-hmm. leveraging that risk information to say to in two ways one if you don't fund this mm-hmm. effort uh, or this risk event a risk um, response mm-hmm. then the risk is either high medium or low if you um, it, the opportunity is here if you do provide me this this funding this is how the money will be spent as a risk response right
0: okay well that makes sense I mean that's what we're striving to do here to use this you know data for you know, making decisions Exactly. Obviously. Um, well, actually yeah i was curious too you know to what degree does your team get involved in actual risk responses you know do you guys advise on that or what was your role in that
1: so as typical with most risk management programs my team as risk practitioners are not responsible to identify the risks or even develop or execute risk responses right. each risk has a designated risk manager accountable for that That said, my team has experience in risk mitigation techniques and are available for facilitation and consultation as a strategic advisor. We get the right people in the room to discuss the risk and the risk responses, but at the end of the day, it's the risk manager's responsibility.
0: Absolutely, but yeah, you you definitely help facilitate those discussions or at least get folks in the room. Yes, that's Mm -hmm. one of
1: the core competencies that I see as a, a person who works in the risk field is that, you know, as a practitioner, you need to be able to facilitate those conversations, ask the question why multiple times to understand the root cause of a risk. Uh, And also what seems to be uh, happening is that sometimes this is the first time that you're getting people from different, I guess, parts of the organization, so chopping Mm -hmm. down those silos getting people in the room that have not typically sat together to discuss different perspectives of a risk.
0: Right. Well, let me ask, so this uh, kind of goes to my next question. Um, I was curious what the interaction is between you know NIH and, and HHS level, right? Because they're, they also have a risk program, a risk guidance. Um, so what, what is that dynamic like?
1: So, ERM can exist and operate at at multiple levels at the same time, and this definitely applies to the relationship between HHS and NIH. Uh, The NIH CFO is a member of the governance body at the HHS level called the ERM Council, Mm -hmm. and NIH level information flows up as an input to the HHS ERM profile. HHS looks at cross-cutting risks that affect other operating divisions uh, Mm -hmm. under HHS, and leadership discusses the risks that are sort of trans-HHS, like acquisitions, HR, IT security, shared services. At At the risk practitioner level, I'm a member of the HHS ERM core team, as well as my counterparts at the HHS operating divisions, our sister agencies, such as CDC, FDA, and CMS. I think HHS has a very healthy and logical maturity model approach to implementing ERM across HHS. Mm -hmm. HHS provides tools and templates to guide a flexible approach towards ERM. And I very much enjoy working with the HHS practitioners there. When we were developing the NIH ERM profile, we leveraged as a source of information the HHS profile to validate and confirm the NIH level information. Mm -hmm. Um, Indirectly, the NIH strategic plan is linked to the HHS strategic plan and those goals in which NIH plays a part and the selection of the NIH ERM risks were framed by the NIH strategic plan.
0: Right. That that makes sense. Yeah. Because I just find it baffling organization is so huge. How do you, you know, bring it down to a small number of highest profile risks? Um, And I don't know if you know the answer to this, but, you know, again, when when NIH and FDA and everybody else kind of sends their risks to the higher level, do you have any idea how they kind of get that winnowed down to a high profile list, you know? It's
1: it's all about the dialogue. They are Uh very thoughtful in coming together monthly to talk. And also when you know in between the monthly meetings they're having discussions and looking at information. Um, Each of the members of the HHS ERM Council uh, looks at the types of risks that is that are proposed for management and HHS to consider in the ERM profile and they use they leverage technology to help um, narrow the gap of which risks need more dialogue. You might Mm -hmm. have a, a you know IT security, right? Certainly in any organization, mm-hmm. whether it's public or private, IT security is going to come up as a top top level enterprise risk. Right. So there might be conversations that need a little less dialogue that this is you know undisputable a risk for the agency. And then those that need more dialogue, they're, they're very thoughtful and deliberate about how those risks are discussed and how that information is synthesized. Certainly, there's a lot of effort that goes in into supporting those meetings um, by the HHS practitioners there.
0: Right, okay. Well, and then, I mean, NIH itself is so big too, right? I mean, so you have the champions to help you at the, the different institutes, and I mean, you really have to have this huge community Participating to make this work. Yes, right?
1: it can't just be one individual. Certainly, without the champions at the NIH, we would we would not have a program at all. It's definitely you know they they know their own organization. They're very thoughtful in in understanding how their leadership needs the risk data information and how and and what at what level each org each organization and each institute or center director has their own data needs so they there is variation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're the ones who know the folks who are you know the risk managers of those risks that um, their organization identifies as enterprise um, and and they definitely play a very key role right
0: well Meredith this was fascinating i really appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak with us today and uh, Thanks again. I look forward to hearing more about your program in the future.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for hosting.
0: That's our show. Thanks for joining us. Check us out on afirm.org where you see all the podcasts. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you'd like to hear. Any guests or topics you'd be interested in. And until next time, this is Paul Marshall signing out for Rich Chats with Firm. Thank you.